0: Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast exploring reproductive technology and life changing stories. Here are your hosts, Jennifer White and Ellen Trackman. Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, the podcast where we explore all things assisted reproductive technology. I'm Ellen Trackman, and I'm here with my co host, Jennifer White. Welcome, what? Jen. Yay, I'm here. Hooray. <laughs> Welcome to you, too. I'm so glad you're here. I. Whenever you say that, you're like, yeah, I'm here. I like imagine you like running through, like breaking through paper, like streamers. Like I do.
1: Here. I feel actually that makes me feel really like special. I like that imagery, <laughs> I'm <laughs> quite here. honestly. Yeah.
0: Here. Yay. Plotting.
1: Yay. Mm -hmm. Oh, so um, I have to admit that I'm sure people can probably hear I'm recording from my home office today and my pets are in the background, which Mm -hmm. is probably (laughs) um, not necessarily a bad thing uh, for today's episode because we are talking about animals today. Um, So my question for you.
0: Not just, not just animals, but, like, bizarre reproductive traits of animals. And, I mean, maybe that doesn't sound interesting to people, but it is, it is fascinating and mind-blowing. It, and I, think it, I think it's very it interesting and, and funny, too. So,
1: so that leads me to, if you could breed two animals together, you know, defy all laws of nature that we're going to talk about that nature already defies anyway, what would you attempt to create?
0: Oh... That sounds bizarre that I would do that. Why would I do that? <laughs> no, um, but I will say I, don't know. I we went to the Natural History Museum at the Smithsonian last summer, and I was very fascinated to see that narwhals um breed with beluga whales. So I thought they and they oh. call them but nar. What, they had like a combo name oh there oh, was also so, like polar bears with another kind of bear and they had a joint name too of interbreeding so bears. we
1: don't even have so to, make to make anything up like nature does it itself yeah
0: no no all right just like ignore real,
1: my question you know, then because nature you. takes care of itself no, no, you no, don't no. even have to answer Here, but
0: okay. but you maybe it was your question did you have an answer what did you want to put together i actually am embarrassed to admit
1: i do not have oh. an answer i mean like there's some things i'd be really frightened of like mm. if you gave my dog's wings or something like that i'd be Ooh. really scared you <laughs> You know so like if you made them into like either bird dogs or I don't know maybe if they were butterflies it'd feel a little more gentle but <laughs> um, yeah no I I actually did not have a really good answer for that one just because we get enough bizarreness in the episode today so I I think everybody needs to listen to to Dr Barfield and hear what she has to
0: say about how strange nature can be. Mm-hmm welcome to the show uh dr jennifer barfield and we're excited to have you for a second time so this is a follow-up so if anyone hasn't been introduced to dr barfield before you can listen to the previous episode but we'll be doing some updates and some more interesting um trivia and information that should be fascinating so welcome to the show again Thank you so
2: much. I'm really excited oh, to talk to you to, again.
0: And after practicing, I forgot to say uh, what you do specifically that you are the assistant professor of veterinary medicine and biomedical sciences at Colorado State University. Ah, take it? Yeah. it all that. <laughs> okay. You got it. Even, yeah. the, even though the sciences is, is plural, not science. So, <laughs> yes. we do a lot okay. of science. <laughs> yeah. And remind, remind our listeners what do you teach there?
2: So I teach comparative reproductive physiology. I also uh, co-run a master's program in assisted reproductive technologies. I teach an ethics course on human assisted reproduction. And I also help teach some courses on bovine reproduction. So cattle. Very specific. Yeah.
0: (laughs) And so we were chatting before and you're telling us how people in the reproductive field often fall into different categories that you're an animal person or a human person? Are you That's a, right. Are you, a, are you a human person or?
2: An person? Well, I would say in my heart I'm an animal person, but I do work a lot with the human people as well. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we use that kind of as a way to say whether we do mostly, you know, reproductive science with humans or with animals. And so, a lot of my research is really focused on the animals, even though a lot of my students and people I've trained they go off to work in the human field and they become human people when they leave here I love the know. term human
0: human people I, was <laughs> like, I, I suddenly had like I'm a real boy like Pinocchio running through my
1: head you know <laughs> I'm a real
0: human <laughs> so you're teaching the students who then go on to do the science whether it's in a fertility clinic for people or whether it's kind of sciency with animals
2: that's right yeah they go all sorts of different places on both sides of that fence Got it.
0: And last time we talked a little bit about some of your projects that you work on. And one of them is going up to Montana to work with the bison there. Have you been doing that uh, since the last time we talked?
2: Yeah, we have. Um, So, you know, annually they remove um, a certain number of animals from that population during the winter migration. And so my team went up again this winter and we collected reproductive material from some of those animals that were removed from the population and we made embryos. And so we now have those embryos stored here on our campus. I think we almost made 300 new embryos, which wow. you know, represent and are preserving those genetics of those animals that um, came out of the population this year. So uh, it was fairly successful. Uh, you know, great. It's always a lot of work and quite an adventure to go back and forth to Montana in the winter. But <laughs> right. so, ho- hopefully over the next month, we'll have some babies on the ground from from the I, work that we're doing.
1: That was going to be the next question. So, I mean, we have to go kind of backwards and then forwards. But the, from last time we had talked about IVF1, that you had this success there. And anybody who's listened to this, you know, every episode has heard us at least update on this a little bit. But we'd love to hear, you know, kind of what happened <laughs> then and kind of what's going on in the future.
2: Yeah. So, you know, IVF1, while she was a great success scientifically, she was really a proof of concept that what we're doing by collecting that reproductive material in Montana and bringing it back here can result in healthy offspring. We put her out into our conservation herd in northern Colorado. It's called the Laramie Foothills Bison Conservation Herd uh, at 11 months of age. So she was a big girl. She went out there um, still with her mom, even though, you know, she was more or less weaned at that point. So that means she was not really nursing on mom and eating grass and all that stuff. So um, we put her out. And then very shortly after, unfortunately, you know, a month or so later, uh, we found her deceased out there. And it was, it was so heartbreaking because, you know, she she was such a success for us. But we found her in the bottom of an arroyo, which is like a dry creek bed in the in the prairie. And it had really steep walls. It was about a 30 foot drop off. Um, and, you know, we collected her remains and we tried to determine the cause of death, but it wasn't, we, it just wasn't possible. Cause by the time we had found did you her, you have like a,
0: a forensic team out there be like, hey, who
2: <laughs> <done it?" laughs> we, yeah, we took her to the, to the vet school and their the lab there. Um, They tried to diagnose kind of, or not diagnose, but kind of determine her cause of death at that point. And, you know, the coyotes had eaten a lot of her soft tissue. So it was really hard to get an idea of what actually killed her, whether it was the fall or something else. And then she fell or so. The good news is, like they weren't, they weren't talking. They weren't going to say. They they weren't actually. (laughs) They were far away. They had left her behind at that point. I (laughs) I don't know what happened, but we're out of here. uh, They probably did their morning and then moved on, and and we were just a little late later to the game. But uh, the good news is is that we have some pregnancies here on campus from the same procedure that we tried again the following year. And Yay. probably within the next month, we should have babies on the ground. So I'll have Yay. to let you know when they come and send a bunch of cute baby pictures because that that's great. the will fun they... part of this work, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> yes. Will
0: they be named IVF two, IVF three, IVF four, or will they get more fun names?
2: Uh, who, who decides? We, I, 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 I guess you? I hadn't really thought that far ahead. Yeah, it's my a team question. names. You know, I have I. I always get a little superstitious with naming animals because I feel like when you name them in our history, it's kind of been bad luck for the animals. So we've stuck to numbers at this point, which I thought IVF1 was okay. It's some letters and a number, you know, but people started calling her IV and giving her Like, oh no, it was the jinx of the name. Mm. know. <laughs>
0: okay. so we're not going to name the next bison like little jennifer white or something so. please yeah no. No. oh god no please no
2: <laughs> i would to have to call you and tell you that little jennifer white uh, was no uh, longer it was it with passed it. away
0: <laughs> shoved off the side of an arroyo
2: and then, i mean i know it sounds like they die a lot but we've had very few of them go but it was just you know ivf1 was just so special and she's like one of you know, two animals that we've lost. And so it was just, oh, it's just a terrible set of circumstances, but we're looking, looking forward to the new babies. Okay. Mm. Okay. So when you
0: went to Montana, did you have to do the makeshift lab again? Were you in a hotel room kind of creating the lab?
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. That's how we do it. I mean, it's just kind of just quick, go in, set up, do your work, break it down and take it home. So that's yeah. so crazy.
0: I just feel like the people in the room next to you when you're like carrying in like I don't know, animals. <laughs> like, yeah.
2: What is going on over there? <laughs> right. It's a different kind of baby making next door. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Okay, if you are ready, let's dive into unusual reproductive features of animals. What is your number one top kind of mind-blowing reproductive um, trivia about a certain animal?
2: Oh, man, my number one. <laughs> that is really hard to choose because, I mean, we have animals that – um you know, that you can't tell whether they're male or female sometimes like hyenas, which have really just amazing. They have a really amazing reproductive strategy. So um, they are probably one of the most unusual and one of my favorites to talk about. Uh, So the hyena is a matriarchal society, which means the females rule. They're bigger than the males. And if you're actually out kind of in the wild observing them, you cannot tell a male from a female because the females have pseudopenises. And they're very long. And these pseudopenises, which are really just like a really long clitoris, they can actually get erections and they're very dominant. And they use these interactions to kind of establish the dominance. Um, And so... In order for them to breed, they have to actually kind of like roll up their penis, their pseudo penis, like a sleeve on a on a long sleeve shirt, right? Like if you were to push (laughs) it up your arm, they have to. Sorry, I've got a visual going here. They have to roll their pseudo-penis up to allow the male to mate them with his penis. So it is really kind of this awkward-looking mating, first of all, because you have these two animals with penises trying to mate. Also, uh, but they do, do they, it. How
0: do, if the the females with the pseudo-penises are kind of like messing with them, like how do they know for sure? Like are you – definitely? <laughs> <laughs> no,
2: <laughs> it is an awkward positioning I will tell you because you know if you're curious you can google this there are some really interesting you know shorts online from National Geographic and other uh, out- outfits that you know have documented the way these animals breed and it's amazing
0: I'm um, nervous to google pseudopenis on my computer around right. what will come up but you can okay.
2: do <laughs> <the> hyena-, <laughs> hyena-, <laughs> hyena hyena pseudopenis yeah,
0: yeah I'm nervous <laughs> about that but okay <laughs>
2: do it on your work computer. Um, <laughs> so, also, so okay, they have a penis. The females have the pseudo penis, and it's it's significant. Um, but they get pregnant, and then they have to give birth through this penis. All right. Oh. So, oh. if there are men listening, of course, I think there's probably just been a collective cringe because, you know, not only do these pups have to, you know. Traverse this very kind of tortuous reproductive tract, they then come out of the penis, and the penis, the pseudopenis of the female, will actually rip a lot of times. Wow. Oh. And if it's a first time mother, there's a pretty high chance that her first uh, pup is going to die oh, because it often wow, gets wow. stuck and it takes a long time to pass through and for really? the pseudopenis to rip. And so it is incredibly. Challenging way to give birth, and sometimes the first time mothers don't survive the birth process itself. So, wow. I mean, it, it's really, really kind of a brutal, brutal way to give birth that and to reproduce. Oh. Right? But other it's like fa-
1: amazing that their species continues, right? Oh. I mean, do they, do they have multiples typically?
2: They do. And that is another really interesting fact. So a lot of times, if you think about like puppies that are born domestic dogs, they're, they're born with their eyes closed, you know, they, they're really helpless. Well, The hyenas are born with their eyes open, with their teeth fully erupted, and the the pups start fighting each other almost immediately, and particularly pups of the same sex. So if you have three and there are two females and a male, T- Probably what's going to happen is those two females are going to fight, and only one of them is going to survive oh, uh, wow. to actually come out and, you know, whilst they have a little den um, to get out and to be able to nurse. It's amazing. Like they, they immediately start to fight each other for dominance because if they have a sibling of opposite sex, it's not quite the same competition as one of the same sex. And so that's why the same sex siblings will often attack and kill each other um it's 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 a brutal brutal system so i mean really yeah. the ones that make it are tough cookies
1: that's
0: that's a lot. I, i'm
2: yeah <laughs> wow so the next time your kids are fighting just be glad they're not hyenas <laughs> I think, right.
0: I, i'm actually going to start comparing them more to hyenas because that sometimes <laughs> um, wow. dude if i are a hyena mom like epidural please asap okay this is terrible yeah right?
2: huh. yeah wow okay. it is an amazing system
0: and um, so how does that, work? so the uh, the dominance of the female, is there like one that heads kind of a group or how does that work as a system?
2: Yeah, I mean, there is a hierarchy among the females. Even though the females are all dominant over the males, there is still, you know, a top female. And a lot of times her offspring will be conferred that rank in status, basically just from being her son or her daughter. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's quite structured. Wow. Interesting.
0: And the, the males, they're kind of like the servants or.
2: Well, I mean, they're kind of opportunistic, right? Like they, they kind of stay on the periphery a lot and, you know, they'll get access to food after the females decide they've had enough. And so there's a lot of those social dynamics that just kind of keep the males in a lower status. And they'll 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 leave. They usually leave the pack and will will move to other packs as they mature, uh, though not all the time, but a lot of the time they do. So yeah, they they have a they have a bit of a tough road just trying not yeah. to get killed <laughs> by these really right. Dominant females. <laughs>
0: right. What can what can we take the, from this? This the human society? Should we <laughs> <laughs> what life lessons do we need to learn
1: from hyenas? <laughs> we should learn from this. We should emulate, possibly. No. I think we should just be oh, thankful that our children don't kill us as often as they do, as it sounds like hyena children do. <laughs> oh, man.
2: Yeah. And that we don't have to give birth through a pseudo penis. Right? Uh, yeah. Right. Yes. So, okay. Thankful for that. That will
0: be the number one thing. We'll learn <laughs> gratitude of not giving birth through pseudo penises. Okay. Yeah. Right. will take that matter okay. of gratitude.
2: Um, okay, mm-hmm.
0: what what else do you have for us besides hyenas? What, what's your What's your second uh, favorite?
2: My second favorite. Oh man, um, gosh, there's so many weird things that happen from like. Animals that can change sexes to the you know like the seahorses where the males give birth or there's actually like the European stoats which can breed at just twenty days of age so they ha- they're still babies and then they wow. actually get carry out the pregnancy when they're fully grown from that breeding when they're just twenty days of age
1: oh wait so is, they breed when they're babies but yeah. they don't actually carry the pregnancy until later right
2: How much later? so they. They pretty much get pregnant around 20 days of age. So this is when they're still nursing. They're not weaned off their mothers. Sorry, what then is this? What is this? A European stoat. What is that? It's kind of like a little weasel type animal. Yeah. But then the following year, when they've gained enough weight and they've reached sexual maturity, they will actually have a baby from (laughs) that breeding um, when they were young.
0: How does so. that work? That they're carrying around an embryo that's not developing or they're carrying around other reproductive material that they're not combining in their body? How do, How is that happening? Yes.
2: So a lot of animals have what's called diapause. So they will breed, their egg will be fertilized, and then it will grow for maybe a week at most, and then it will just stop growing. And the female is able to just store and harbor that embryo until she's ready to get pregnant and carry it to term and there are a lot of animals that do this there are marine mammals that do this and bears that do this uh yeah there's i mean polar bears do this there are a lot of animals embryo
0: in their body for a significant amount of time
2: right and
0: so so if
1: if situation doesn't become right for them, they, I mean, can they hold longer than one year? So, like, let's say that, you know, it's a bad drought year or something like that. Will they, their bodies react to that and they'll just keep holding that embryo for even longer?
2: It's possible, but it's really hard to determine in the wild when those things happen um, and how long the embryo has been in there. Uh, I mean, a lot of animals have what we call an obligate diapause. So they have it every year and they breed when it's... Um, kind of easy and available, but maybe they'll hold that embryo so that at the end of their pregnancy, they're having their baby when the most resources are available, the best food sources are are there for them. And so that difference in time might be uh, longer than their gestation so they just hold that embryo and time that gestation to have their baby at the best time of year
0: and do we do we have any idea how they do that how they stop an embryo from growth i mean i just wonder for like our own i'm say for, for scientific purposes. purposes like, we, like we freeze it right they don't have like a little free- freezer right. in there they must be doing something chemically or otherwise to stop growth right Without killing they must
2: it. and we right and we don't know how it works and there are people who are studying that but it it would be a really cool thing to be able to replicate in the lab. I mean, even just for embryos that we don't want to hold for a long, long, long time that we have, you know, like we put them in liquid nitrogen and we freeze them and put them in liquid nitrogen, you know, maybe we could do something else where we don't freeze them, but hold them for six months or nine months. Or maybe, and, and that maybe might you're be pregnant an and you're like, option. wait,
0: this isn't convenient. I'd like to, to slow this down and wait till after <laughs> my best friend's <laughs> wedding or something. No.
2: <laughs> right. Right. Just, you can just put it on yeah. hold. Right. I can't. There's that dress. Yeah. I right, let this
0: continue. So let's just put it on pause for a little while. No. Okay. We'll work yeah.
2: On so, oh, well, there's so there's a, a second layer to this that some animals can do, mm-hmm. and it's called superfetation. Oh, 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 oh. Oh, yes. We, we know have, this we have, one. We have. We a we a know this one. in case. There was a human. He- yes, there was a human like case. Okay, so for <laughs> listeners,
0: I can tell the human case. So, yes. surrogacy. There is a very big, famous case right now that is ongoing, where a woman in California. So she's Caucasian and she's married to an African American man, and she agreed to be a surrogate for a Chinese couple. And they transferred one embryo of the Chinese couple, and then they were excited to find out they were car- that she was carrying twins. So everyone just assumed that the embryo had split it was identical twins, because that happens, you know, rarely, but occasionally. But when the babies were born, they did not look alike. And they eventually did genetic testing and found that one was related to the Asian couple whose embryo had been transferred. And one was biologically the gestational carrier, her husband, and that she had managed to get pregnant while uh, close to around the time that this other embryo had been transferred and was carrying both pregnancies. So, okay. So that was superfetation. That was the word I learned from that case, but tell us about it for the animal world.
2: Yeah, I mean, it happens very similar to that. I mean, so one example would be the marbled polecat, again, kind of in this mustelid uh, weasel type And group. where are they found? And it essentially, are they here? Are they- uh, no, they are not here. I'm not exactly sure what their native range oh. is. I'd have to look that up. But... They can conceive while pregnant. So essentially what they'll happen is they'll go through a cycle. They'll ovulate. They'll mate with a male. They'll have those eggs fertilized and then they'll hold them. So they actually go into a mini diapause and then they'll cycle again and they will again breed with a male, typically a different male. And then they'll reactivate all of their embryos at the same time and give birth to you know a mixed litter. Interesting. Like, like with mixed paternity. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So not terribly unlike that case. <laughs> and and, and though, you know, I mean most of what were they? Pole oh, cats? Like and the legal poll cats. Pole cats. And the yeah. legal issues for
0: those pole cats are serious. Like <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> oh my god, right. the courts. Yeah. Has to be, you know, child support. It's really rough. <laughs>
2: It, it could be a problem. Yeah. So I mean, it's really it's kind of interesting because there are a lot of animals that can have mixed paternity litters, but most of the time it happens because they breed with more than one male in the same cycle. But yeah, in these cases, this. yeah, it's two different ovulations, two different months. It's yeah, it, um, and are they? They just hold those. Is this
0: unusual back. or is this just kind of routine?
2: This is fairly unusual in the animal kingdom that we know of. I mean, there are certain groups that will do it more, and kind of the mastelids are a group that will do it, but um, some rodents may yeah. do it. It's been documented in a couple of other species. But, is there any understanding um, of
0: why? Or is there the purpose of kind of genetic diversity or some reason that makes yeah. sense?
2: That's one of the big uh, potential reasons, is just to mix up the paternity so that you have more genetic variability in your offspring, and they're more likely to survive. So say you mate with one male, and he's, you know, not exactly genetically uh, your favorite, you can then meet with <laughs> your, another male, your backup plan. Be <laughs> talk yeah. her and you're like, wait, no,
0: he has a vision.
2: Wait a minute. Yeah. So, you know, instead of throwing all your eggs in his basket, you spread them out and maybe the next guy's a little better and those kids do well. (laughs) A little better than the first group. Oh, my goodness. Yes. That's I have awesome. to say, like, once you learn about animal behavior and mating, going to a bar in a college town is never the same again. Right? <laughs> you just notice all of these things that you're like, oh, my gosh, that guy is mate guarding her. And oh, oh my gosh, <laughs> Look at this This is oh, happening.
0: Yeah. So, yeah uh, OK, tell, I want to hear more about that. So if you're going to a bar, what are these different behaviors that are known and termed in the animal kingdom that you're now that you would now see in a bar? And we can now identify. Well,
2: them. I mean, you. Is, is a wingman? Does, <laughs> do animals
0: have wingmans?
2: Is that. Is that <laughs> Ooh, that's a good question. I mean, there are animals that hang out in groups, but yeah, I don't know if there any of that is to kind of talk up, you know, is, is,
1: as a wingman. Get yeah. someone <laughs> access
2: to a female or a male. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, well, also, you know, just kind of ornamentation in the animal kingdom to draw in mates. I mean, you know, so in the animal kingdom, a lot of times it's the male that's really kind of throwing a lot of energy into looking good and having these large displays. The birds are a really good example of that, where the males are you know, beautiful. The peacock, of course, is one that everybody knows if you look at his plumage and how beautiful that is versus the pea hen who's just kind of brown and not very <laughs> impressive, right? So it's that happens a lot. So if you go to a bar, you can be like, man, look at their ornamentation. They are really looking <laughs> for a
1: mate. I, I see that a lot like things like cardinals, even like small birds, like because the yes. cardinal, like the male cardinal is the one who's bright red and the female is like a kind of drab brown.
2: That's right. Yeah. 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 So lots of, lots of
1: common birds that are like that too. I mean, I yeah.
2: guess. I no so. You- I mean, and in the, in the animal kingdom, of course, things sometimes are a little bit more overt, right? Like, so for humans, you know, most of the time men can't tell when women are ovulating. So what's their chance of getting a woman pregnant? Like there's not an outward sign, but in some primate species you get, you know, especially in like the old world monkeys, you get like these, Swellings on the backside uh, that get really bright red. So, you know, there's a lot of really interesting research about pheromones and like um, different chemical signals that human females can send out that might, you know, let a man know that she's ovulating. And he's probably not consciously picking up on these cues, but they're very likely there. So it's really, it's really fascinating.
0: But yeah. no, like, negging or it's, something, like, oh, your chipped tooth is so cute. The, you know, <laughs> no, not that I know of. <laughs> oh. yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So I will say I was watching <laughs> Jurassic Park with my kids, which I was very excited to introduce them to Jurassic Park, the the documentary, right? No, okay. yes, of course. They were <laughs> saying, like, you know, oh, they're all—all all the dinosaurs are female, and that's why they can't breed. And then they find these eggs, and like, oh, they use amphibian uh, DNA, and amphibians are known for being able to change sex. Do you want to talk to that? Okay, so yeah, how much yeah, truth, is, truth is there to Park? Jurassic Park? Is what Ellen is asking. How many, how many is it Jurassic true? Is true, and tell me where to find the dinosaurs. Like, here's the-
2: so you know i would say probably it is possible for an animal to change sex okay And, and after birth so after genetically it has been determined it is possible and there is a group out of australia that's recently documented this in the wild with the um the australian bearded dragon so not an amphibian a reptile but still so um They have, or they have had in this particular species, uh, genetic sex determination, which means the genes you get determine whether you're male or female. In the in the reptiles and in some other groups too, sometimes what you have is temperature dependent sex determination. So, you know, if eggs of reptiles are incubated at a certain temperature, they become female or male depending on what. But they all go the same way. At certain temperatures, and there's also there's always an intermediate, you know, where you might get a male or a female. So it's kind of a scale. But when you hit the extreme ends of the temperature uh, curve for what it, for that species, whatever it may be, you get all females at one end and all. Does males it tend at to be another. the same?
0: Like, is high temperature female and low temperature male, or does it does it vary?
2: It varies across species. Yeah, so. But in this bearded dragon, what they found was that there were genetic males that were born genetic males. And because of um, an exposure to high temperature, they became phenotypic females. And they started to have offspring. And in fact, they were having more offspring per pregnancy than genotypic females. And what is is genotypic and
0: phenotypic? Phenotypic is when you've changed...
2: Sex. that's yeah like your your traits and kind of the way your genes are actually expressed and the way you're functioning so the way you look or any of your features that can be, ter- be determined by genes essentially so your genes are just that's your genetic code it's the basis but how those are expressed result in a phenotype which yeah and and so these animals that they found were should have been males if you look at their genes, but they were having babies as females.
0: And more, and you said yeah. more so than than others that were genetically right. female.
2: Yeah. And so what they did basically, this group they brought some of these animals into the lab and they bred them. And in one generation, they basically took out the gene that before then had been causing them to be female and turned this species into a completely sex determining or sex dependent sex determining species. What does that mean? So it means that they no longer have um like uh the genes that were associated with being female. They just have the genes that were associated with being male. But then and but now then the, whether or not their offspring are male or female is all temperature dependent. So the wow. question is, and so, can they say that I, Probably not, because that gene is gone now. It's gone. There's no way to get it back once it's been bred out of the population. Yeah
1: and i was interested in the whole temperature dependent thing like the dependent thing sorry i'm sorry i'm still stuck on this temperature dependent thing like what happens like with either global warm like global warming either direction right like okay if things get too hot are you suddenly only going to have females in a or too cold or like is that going to potentially could that impact species and make them die off cuz they don't have the other gender, it never shows up, right?
2: (laughs) Absolutely. That is a very real consequence for some of these animals that rely on their temperature, the surrounding temperature around them to determine the sex of their offspring. So, you know, there's been a really interesting case where, um, the tuatara, which is a, a reptile that's found in New Zealand. They're having that issue where, um, I think they're all becoming male. And so it's a real problem for these species that aren't able to adapt as quickly as climate change is happening. Uh, yeah. So it is, um, that is a real phenomenon. Whether or not that's what happened in Jurassic Park, I don't know. Right. And in fact, change sex, even when you think uh, they're all a one.
0: One and did second. I mishear Jurassic Park or was Jurassic Park wrong about can amphibians change it? Is there only seen in reptiles?
2: Oh, I'm trying to think of a specific case of amphibians. I'm not saying it's not possible, but I can't think of a specific case. I know it happens in fish. In fact, um, there are certain fish where if you put you isolate two females; the bigger one will become a male. If you isolate two males, the smaller one will become a female. Um, and then, of course, there are animal, there are fish and other reptiles too that reproduce by parthenogenesis, which Ooh, means, that? means that essentially it's the female; her egg just starts to develop without a genetic contribution from the male. Ooh. What? So what? Yeah, so there have been cases of this in sharks so where you know they've had by sharks
1: themselves without another contributor. So yeah. they just don't need, they just don't need male. That's
2: right. Essentially, they, yeah. some of them don't need males. Girl yeah, power. <laughs> there, there is a fish. One of my favorites is the Amazon Molly, and those are found in Brazil. And these are little fish that, um, they will lay eggs. But they will let the sperm of another species fertilize their egg, but they don't incorporate the DNA. They just let that sperm activate the egg and get it to start growing. So they're an all-female species, but they still need sperm from a male to, to activate their egg and start the growth and the embryo development so process. But without incorporating any But they DNA. don't let him contribute genetically.
0: <laughs> That's right.
2: Wow. Yeah.
0: So if we could do so, that, it, it wouldn't matter if the guy was a dud. We're just like, okay, we're just using activation, but it's all my Yeah, my
2: You're DNA. just I
1: just need you as my activator, right? Yeah. We're right. Done. <laughs>
2: I'm just I'm just gonna clone myself. If you could just activate my egg, thank you very much. I'll be on so, my Yeah, egg. so they're
0: basically <laughs> all clones, right? Because there's no you're not getting that diversity. It's just cloning of oneself.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean there might be some um you know, difference in some of the genes that are expressed because we don't express every single sure. gene that we have right. all the time. But yeah, essentially, you would have the same genes as your mother. And that would continue on down the line. Interesting. These yes, are really
0: fascinating. We're going to have a vocab test at the end of this. We're like... I, I you. know, right?
2: <laughs> yeah. Parthenogenesis. Well, you already knew the supernatural. That was the only I one I knew, that, one, yeah. I think. But
0: Parthenogenesis, so Like that's new. Most of these are new. The animals <laughs> are new. Um, yeah. Okay, what else? What else do you have on your... I know you have an exciting list. Is there
2: Gosh. more good ones? Yeah. Okay, I have... Well, I have three or four more that I had okay. kind of on my list, and so na- naked mole rats are some of my favorites. I love naked uh, mole
1: rats; they're my daughter's favorite. <laughs> I've so. touched on them before,
2: but <laughs> remind me why, why we did, are they did so yeah. special. So they have a queen, and she is the only one who reproduces in the colony very much like a bee. So this is a really unheard of strategy in the mammalian world. I mean, you know, so essentially there's just one queen and she has a few males that she will mate with. And then all of the other animals in the colony have jobs and roles. And some of them like help raise the babies and some of them hunt for food and some of them keep all the burrows up and in good condition. And so very, very much like a beehive or sounds a wasp, pretty advanced. You know, so so, structured. Yeah, it is. And so she basically reproductively suppresses all of the other animals in the colony, which is interesting because in a lot of species, you might have a dominant male who will suppress reproduction in the other males or a dominant female who might do the same for other females. But the queen will suppress everyone. Wow. And she does it with physical intimidation. What? Oh, <laughs> love that. Yeah. So... If you look at a naked okay. mole rat, I mean, they, it doesn't look like they have a lot of weapons. They are or, not you know, intimidating, or, no. <laughs> I'm in. Yeah, they don't. I feel like that's less dangerous than <laughs> history.
0: Okay. All that does have naked. Yeah. Okay,
2: naked go male. on. Yeah. So they, she goes around and she shoves the other members of the colony to just make sure that they know she's in charge. And so, you know, when a queen dies or is overtaken and they have to pick a new queen there's like all of these you know females kind of trying to duke it out and they're going around like shoving and shoving each other and shoving the other members until a queen is chosen and then you know it takes a, a little while for her to have you know to start kind of having having the babies oh. and well I will say
0: when I google colony, naked mole rat but, queen the first headline that comes up is after a murderous rise to the top a naked mole rat queen reigns <laughs> um, that's, That's awesome!
2: Wow, it's amazing, yeah. isn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, there, They're really, really cool.
1: There's a book, Ellen, since you have small children, called "Naked Mole Rat Gets Dressed." Oh, just, just dressed. so you know, like there is a children's there is a children's book out there about okay. naked mole rats. Yeah, for that one. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. <laughs> so how
0: many offspring does a normal um, queen queen have?
2: Okay, so in her lifetime, she can have hundreds of offspring, um, but you know, in a given litter, it will increase in number as she gets older. So you know, it might start with ten to twelve, but she can have up to twenty when she's a bit older. And part of that is because once she's chosen and she starts to get pregnant and have you know multiple litters, she basically her body changes conformation. Her spine will actually elongate. And that's because she lives in a burrow system. She can't really get too fat because then the colony has to widen all the burrows. And that's a really big cost from an energetic perspective. So instead, she actually changes the shape of her body. And if you look at the queen, like a radiograph, like an x-ray of the skeleton of a queen versus a regular adult female, I mean, you can see that her vertebrae are elongated. Uh, So, yeah, she actually undergoes this conformational change in her body. So, yeah, and the longer she gets, the more babies she can have, and I mean, she's just. A I baby wish my factory, birth had basically. made me taller.
0: That would have been nice. I feel like four, four kids later, I should have been <laughs> taller. That would have been great right
1: i mean it also yeah. would have helped with the extra weight i gained right because if i was taller then it I wouldn't know. be so noticeable and in bed,
0: <laughs> I had my, my construction workers would like widen the doors of my burrow so. <laughs> right <laughs> think about it yeah
2: if you had to do that to your house right terrible.
0: <laughs> okay you've been awesome you, it sounds yeah. like you have yeah. like one or two more let's let's do it
2: um, so one of the other things I was going to mention that's really interesting in the animal kingdom, uh, happens with marine mammals. So like some whales and dolphins where, uh, females, uh, in, within a pod can actually lactate, uh, to help support the offspring of another female. So they're called aunts. So it would be like, you know, Ellen, if you had a baby and Jen, you started to lactate Without to help her even having out a baby before. Them. That's right. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. Community. It's
1: like the, it's like kind of like the wet nurse, like old school wet nurse kind of thing, except that they had had babies before. So that's why they were able to do that.
2: Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And we don't really know kind of the, you know, like the the molecular pathways that are causing that to happen, but uh, it's been documented in several different marine mammal species where they have ants that will lactate alongside. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah, that's kind of a nice one, you know. It's the, it's the opposite end of the hyenas, which is super brutal. Oh, then you have the marine mammals, that which are really cooperative better. and help each let's other be, out. Let's be, <laughs> a let's be dolphins.
0: hyenas. I,
1: especially as I keep reading all these stories about the fact that they're all, like, they're dying and they're skinny because they're not oh, getting enough food. So I'm like, oh, spread that yeah. out. Not dolphins, but a lot of a lot of whales, especially up on the, on the oh, Pacific no. coast, or they're... Yeah, they're washing up because they're and there's just not enough food because of you know, they yeah. think temperature changes in the ocean. Yeah, so they're just the food's gone somewhere plastics. else, and yeah, no, they think the food's just gone somewhere else, and they're not migrating to the right place, and they're finding all these really skinny whales, and mm, it's horrible. Really so it'd be good if yeah. they if they help each other, then they can help feed the babies, right? And then they won't all be super skinny. Uh, I that's
2: mean. the idea idea right maximize survival of all of all of the offspring is lactation
0: only found Uh, in females throughout the animal kingdom or does it does it ever show up in males just curious uh
2: not uh, i am i'm not aware of any males lactating in the Mm -hmm. animal kingdom I'm not saying yeah, that it can't happen because up, be every time you say something there's a rule this is how it works there's always another right. animal that bucks the trend and says oh, that's right how we're going to do it. <laughs> so, yeah. It's okay, it's others amazing.
0: before I return to Jurassic Park <laughs> and ask if it's where I can, I'll say last one,
2: yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Do you Okay, the two I have on my list are seahorses so, or both. pronghorn.
1: Oh yeah, I was we can we can do two. Yeah, go for it.
2: Okay. So pronghorn, as you know as you may know, those little antelope looking animals that run around out here in the West, um, they are natural super ovulators. Which is another term we can add to our list. So essentially what that means is they ovulate more than one egg in a cycle. Okay. So if you, if for a woman who goes into a human IVF clinic, oftentimes that's what we do. We, we give them hormones to get them to ovulate more eggs so we can make as many embryos potentially as possible. And we have to do that by giving them hormones. But in pronghorn, it happens naturally, even though they only have typically two offspring. And so what happens is there's this competition in utero between all of the embryos. And it's kind of the ones that make us the furthest away from the ovaries. Um, as earliest as possible and are able to kind of get into place and they just kind of squeeze the others out and then the other embryos die and then the two that make it are the ones that That is very fascinating.
1: So
2: there's this, yeah, there's this competition.
1: It's like hyenas but in utero, basically.
2: In utero. (laughs) They are the in utero hyenas, yes. Exactly. And then the fawns, they grow, they have really big babies. So... um, yeah, they have, like, the fawns are 18% of the mother's body weight when they're born. Wow. So it's amazing. And then by the time they wean them, basically the, co- the combined weight of the two fawns is 120% of the mother's weight. So, like, they grow really fast, and she is just, like, pumping in this really rich milk into them and just, I mean, they have this amazing strategy because they're prey species. They're on the prairie. They have to be quick. They have to grow quick. They have to get up and run almost immediately. So, yeah, they have to be hardy. So, and the competition starts in the uterus. I was
1: going to say, but that's quite a like a waddling mom. You know, like I feel like how I felt, you know, like that. And I felt as big as a house. (laughs) But if I'm getting, if I'm giving birth to two babies that are 18% of my body weight, by the end, I'd be like, yeah, I can't even imagine what those moms look like by the end.
2: (laughs) I know. I know. Or how uncomfortable they must be. Yeah. Okay, I feel for them.
1: That's going to be my next Google search. I'm going to look pronghorn mom. So if you're if
0: you're, <laughs> you're feeling like, you're like, oh, I feel like a
2: pronghorn. Oh. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah. right? laughs> okay, seahorses. Okay, last, seahorses. I mean, this is, you know, the group of animals where the male gives birth, which you know, I think many women on different occasions would love the opportunity for the men to be able to give birth. Uh, And this is a species that's actually made it happen. So the males have a little brood pouch which sits, sits on the front of their body. And essentially the female will deposit her eggs into his brood pouch. And at the same time, he will release his sperm in just a matter of seconds. And then he closes up, seals up the brood pouch. And that pouch almost acts like a placenta. So those eggs will embed into the wall of it. And there'll be, you know, blood vessels that will grow up and around it. And he'll nourish those eggs. And then, you know, um, it depends on the species, how long, but maybe a few weeks later, he'll pump out all these little baby seahorses. And it's it's if you, if you want to Google <laughs> okay. it, you should. And he kind of looks like he's having contractions. And every time he has a contractions, there's like this little squirt of baby <laughs> seahorses that shoot out. It's great. And they do these really elaborate dances. And there are some great videos online where they put these elaborate dances to very slow romantic music. It is... Entertaining wow. right. so to watch. It's great. It
0: comes up. <laughs> watch a seahorse give birth to two thousand babies from National Geographic. Wow.
2: Yes, it's amazing. Wow. Yeah. So, it's really they. They. I recently, in my comparative reproduction class, my uh, exam question was this. I said, "Okay, you have died, and you realize that reincarnation is real." And because of your past transgressions, you've been given two options. You can either be reincarnated as a female hyena or a male seahorse. Oh! So justify your choice based on the reproductive reproductive strategy of the species, and convince me why wow. you made this choice. Right? Did but everybody tell choose? Tell me about the reproductive.
1: Who did? What did everybody choose
2: for the most part? I I will say most oh. people chose seahorse. That's what
0: I would have so, chosen too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: like, I believe I have I it right here.
0: Murder you for the moment of birth. <laughs>
2: Right. So I have I had thirty-nine people in the class. There were thirty one people who chose Seahorse and eight who chose hyena. And it was it was great because the people who chose Seahorse basically said, I really want this loving monogamous relationship with my partner. (laughs) and then um, you know the people who chose hyena were kind of like down with the patriarchy yes. I want to be in charge oh, <laughs> like, that reminds me, to me of power. there's a
0: yeah, this movie Legally Blonde and there's one this questions like which which case would you take yeah. it's basically like the murderous one or like the crime that's not so bad and and then the was like oh clearly like the crime that's not so bad but they're using like legal terms to distinguish and uh, the, uh-huh. the heroine like raised her hand she's like no I would take the hard one because I'm not afraid of a challenge so
2: so those are, those are your eight students uh, who are like, I'll be the female uh, hyena. I'm not
0: afraid of a challenge.
1: Like,
2: <laughs> I, that's I just right. don't yeah. want to
1: die during childbirth. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah,
2: It would be a brutal way to go. And if you survive, of course, you know, you still have to heal. And it's a lot of probably discomfort, I would guess. Yeah, it's not an yeah. easy lifestyle. But you are at the top and you're powerful That's and it's true. a woman driven society. So yeah, tough survive.
0: That's <laughs> true. All right. <laughs> uh, well, these were yeah. amazing. Okay. So last question. Um, so where is Jurassic Park happening and are you working on it?
2: I am not working on it. Nope. I'm, I'm sticking to my bison embryos. Is that what you would say if you were working on it? Probably.
0: Yeah. Okay, great. Non-disclosure yeah, sure
2: agreements are very yeah. powerful. Yeah. Right.
0: Good job, lawyers. Right. Uh, uh, is there anything yeah. new or exciting for the bison program ahead?
2: Um, you know, we are going to hopefully expand some of our work, uh, expand some of the uh, research we're doing with the animals on the landscape, so kind of doing a more larger kind of ecosystem level research, and how the bison are part of that. So stepping a little bit away from the re- the reproduction, but still looking at animal health and how they interact with cattle on the landscape, um, because there are cattle ranches around where bison um, can live and figuring out how we can do that together instead of displacing one species or the other. So that's where some of my interest is going. And um, yeah, we're, we're actually about to move a couple bulls to the Oakland Zoo, and they're gonna become part of the Anii initiative, which is um, with the Blackfeet Nation Um, In partnership there with the Oakland Zoo to try to bring to build their bison herds and their cultural connection, kind of uh, help that grow for them uh, on their land. So that's a really exciting aspect of some of the work that we're doing
0: outside of the lab. Well, thank you for joining us again. This was really fascinating, and I am a little terrified of. (laughs) The many species now. of now. nature, yeah. You're like, ah, nature, stop touching me, nature. I can't it. <laughs> yeah. uh,
2: we'll have to we haven't even videos. scratched the surface. I'm sure. <laughs> right.
0: Well, um, but, maybe we'll inspire a generation to to dig more deeply and to come be your students in the future.
2: Absolutely. There's so much to learn. So, yeah. Thank you for having me. It was, it was a lot of fun.
0: Yes, thank you so much. Thank you, Dr. Barfield. That was bizarre and fascinating, and we will definitely be helping the clicks for the naked mole rat video now, I think.
1: Oh, my goodness. that I, I will say, I since we've had this conversation uh, talking about naked mole rats, there's a video out there, and uh, I, I've cried. I've laughed so hard that I've cried. Um, maybe it is not safe for work, and people should <laughs> not watch it with their children around either necessarily, oh. but it's uh, pretty incredible. Uh, I would actually love to hear from people out there what their experiences are, what their thoughts are on all this stuff, or what animal they would make up if they could defy the laws of nature. (laughs) They should call at 303- 997-1903. Nine nine seven one nine zero three, And I, I, I want to hear some of these concoctions and maybe we'll share them in the future or something like that. Because I seriously, we've already had Dr. Barfield back for a second time. Maybe we should have her come back a third time and talk about the logistics of how these strange concoctions could actually happen for us, right? She is always fun. Yes, she is. But a huge thank you out there, you know, to Chris at Work at Bird Studios, to Lindsay and Amanda and our entire team that make us feel and sound like we are a million bucks. So thank you all so much <laughs> and have a safe and wonderful 4th of July.